Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Gale to Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. To Act Otherwise 11. The griffin paced back and forth above the small cave set into the mountain. The cave was several yards away, on raised and rocky terrain, and they were hiding behind dead shrubs to keep out of sight, but the griffin's hackles were raised. Nicola was right. The damned beast was on alert. Fucking amateurs, Zevo thought. This was why monster hunting should be left to the professionals. A big human kills a handful of neckers, and suddenly he thinks he's a monster slayer. Zevo had been meticulously trained his entire childhood at Heron Kedik, for one purpose and one purpose only. It angered him to see someone botch up the job. His sharp eye caught a bloodstain not too far from the shrubs. That was when Nicola got rent by the griffin's talons, most like. There was nothing but open ground between the shrubs and the cave. Zevo looked back at the beast. The griffin was as big as a male lion, with a shaggy mane around her bird-like head. Her brown beak clacked, and her small eyes darted back and forth. Her tail, with a puff of brown fur at the end, swished. The feathers that covered her back and winged arms were raised. The damned thing was alert all right, and not like to calm down any time soon. Fucking amateurs, the witcher said. Zevo unsheathed his silver sword and rummaged through his bag for two small vials. He popped the cork off the first one with his mouth, and the bready mixture of dog tallow and white myrtle petals wafted up his nose. He poured the hybrid oil over his blade slowly. What's the plan? Jeremiah asked. Zevo ground his teeth and tossed the empty vial away. He didn't know why any of these camp followers were with him. They always insisted on tagging along for a job, and ended up getting hurt. Zevo didn't need their help. Zevo didn't need anyone. He popped the second vial, and a far more odious stench wafted out. It smelled of bile and corpse dirt. Anyone who drank this griffin decoction would die of blood poisoning within three minutes. Anyone who wasn't a witcher, that is. Zevo downed the decoction in one gulp and crushed the vial underneath his boot. He felt the potion's effects immediately, burning through his veins like wildfire. His head started pounding, but his vision sharpened and focused. His hearing became muffled, save for the sound he focused on. In this case, the clacking of the griffin's beak and the shuffling of its talons. Zevo looked down at his arms and saw that his pale skin had grown waxier, and the veins in his hands and arms and face blackened and bulged from his skin. In that moment, he thought, he truly looked like a mutant. But Zevo didn't care. The decoction had sharpened his focus to one purpose. 
killing the griffin. Stay put, the witcher growled. He stood up and broke towards the cave in a sprint. The decoction helped him move faster than normal, and his breath did not become labored. The griffin, naturally, heard and smelled Zevo the moment he left cover. The griffin spread her wings, each one as long as Zevo was tall, and beat them slowly. A circle of dust and gravel sprayed across the rocky field, and the griffin rose high into the air, too high for Zevo to reach. The griffin screeched, a sound ten times more powerful than the harpies. The witcher saw and heard all this in near slow motion, but he didn't slow down. He had closed half of the distance already. His armored boots thudded against the ground with a steady surety. He had closed three-quarters of the distance now. The griffin flew to meet Zevo, as the witcher expected. He aimed his right hand at the beast and curved his index finger inward, as Sigurd had trained him to do, summoning the meager amount of power he had. The sign of Igni was successfully made, and Zevo felt hot energy flow through him. A stream of spark shot from his hand, directly at the griffin's left wing. The griffin screeched and pulled herself back, hovering just out of range of Zevo's sword. It wasn't enough, the witcher knew. He summoned the remainder of his power with a shout, and the sparks transformed into a gout of flame. Zevo felt the cords in his neck strain, as he kept the stream of fire going. Then the hot energy dissipated in his arm, and the flame sputtered out. But it was enough to set the griffin's wing alight. The creature swooped to Zevo's right and landed on the ground, beating her wing against the dirt to put the flames out. Zevo sprinted towards the griffin and raised his silver sword up. The first strike plunged halfway through the griffin's exposed neck. The hybrid oil that coated the blade helped it slice through the creature's leathery skin like butter. The griffin roared as blood poured from her neck. She staggered half a step back, wings still on fire. It smelled like roasted boar. The second downward strike took the griffin's head clean off. Fucking amateurs, Zevo thought, as he cleaned his blade and sheathed his sword. His head still pounded from the decoction, but his senses returned to normal, and the blackened veins slowly began to retreat. He pulled his carving knife from his boot and set to work on the beast. His companions were already out of the bushes. They had tried to follow Zevo when he sprinted towards the creature, to help in whatever way they could. Check the cave, he said to Jeremiah. Its nest is likely in there. The craftsman went in and shouted, There's one egg. It's as big as my head. Zevo hunkered down and opened the griffin's belly with one clean slice, letting its steaming guts slide out. Take the egg to the castellan right now, and tell her the rest of us will be back before nightfall with the griffin's head. Jeremiah came back with a large white egg held in both hands. Sure thing, he said with a nod. I'll make sure she knows. Well, looks like you had the situation well in hand, eh? Zevo stood up to see two of the Virginian hunters they met at the base of the hill. Devery and Asilla, if memory served. The third hunter, Avon, was nowhere to be seen. The two hunters had their hands to their side, their bows slung across their shoulders. They looked non-threatening for now, but Zevo didn't trust them for an instant. Aye, that's what happens when you send a professional, he said. Looks like you didn't have to trouble yourselves with this hunt after all. Devery shaded his eyes with his hand. Looks like, and none of you are even hurt. We saw what that griffin did to that mountain of a man. Nasty business. And how, Carmignola said with a touch of anger in his voice, do you know that Nicola got hurt? And where's your other chum? Ethramel added. We passed them on the way up, Devery said with a shrug. 
Well, they were on their way down. Nicola looked like he could barely walk, and Avans dabbled in medicine, so he opted to head back down with them. We would have followed, but Nicola said you all might need help slaying the griffin. But clearly you didn't, Asilla said with a whistle. Top-notch work. Zevo narrowed his eye at the hunters. He trusted them less and less with each passing moment. More like than not, they slit Beatrix, Nicola, and Arthur's throats, and have Avon waiting in the bushes with his bow drawn. Aye, the work's all done, Zevo growled. So why don't you head off? I get it, Devry said, raising his hands in a disarming motion. I guess I wouldn't trust us either. We really did just come to help, though. I'm glad you all made it out okay. Come on, Asilla. Let's head back to town. I'm thirsty. Asilla nodded, and the two went back down the path without a word. Ethramel scowled and muttered something about an ambush waiting for them. We'll take a different route down. Zevo looked at Jeremiah. Get that egg to town as soon as you can. I want the Nilfgaardians to know who gets credit for the kill. Jeremiah nodded and started walking. I'll meet you all at the tavern. Zevo grunted and continued harvesting everything he could from the griffin. Sigurd had taught him it was his right to do so, since he had killed the beast. Sigurd of the School of the Bear was a difficult mentor but he had helped create an effective killer, had helped create a professional. Fucking amateurs, Zevo thought, as he continued carving up the griffin. 12. Senli Op Bryn, the new castellan of Bedsin Aponis Mena, marveled at the yellow-white egg sitting on her desk. You ever see a griffin egg before? she asked. Jeremiah shook his head. He wiped his brow and drank the water that was offered him. He traveled back to town alone, trying to get to the Nilfgaardians before anyone else could claim credit for the kill. He knew he looked a little more than disheveled, but was just glad he got to Senley first. Can't say I've had the pleasure, ma'am, Jeremiah said. Neither have I, so I'm inclined to take your word for it. You have an honest face, after all. Looks like you've been in your fair share of scraps. More than my fair share, Jeremiah thought. For someone just trying to ply his trade, he had found himself on the wrong end of a blade more than he should have and he had delivered death a few too many times. An image of Ezra, his erstwhile Nilfgaardian partner, flashed in his mind. His wounded side ached. More than enough, he said. I hope I won't have to see any more. We all hope that, Senli said with a laugh, and we'll all know peace once this war is finished. By the grace of the great sun, it will end soon. Let us hope. Jeremiah remembered well how much peace came to Edirne after Nilfgaard lost the First and Second Northern Wars. Looting, disease, starvation, homelessness. All courtesy of Imperator Emir Var Emris. This is the third time the Imperator invaded the North in the last decade. Who's to say he won't invade again if he loses? Will he ever be satisfied with ruling two-thirds of the continent? Jeremiah thought. Must he rule it all? Senli spun the egg on the table. What do you plan to do with this? Sell it, most like. I hear griffin eggs can catch a fair price. I believe the Empire may have some use for it. Will you sell it to me for 250 Last I checked, that was the market value. Zevo had said as much at one point on their trek to the griffin's nest. Jeremiah didn't expect to be able to sell the egg so soon, and not to the enemy of his kingdom. This gave the craftsman pause, but not for long. The egg would be too delicate to travel with, and he doubted anyone in Bedsin upon Mena would want to buy. Besides, Jeremiah thought, what's more patriotic than taking money from Nilfgaard? That's wealth that can't be used to conquer Edirn. Jeremiah nodded. Senli rummaged through her desk and dropped a sack of coins onto the table. 
Wait, she said after a moment. Did you want the payment in florins or crowns? Florins were Nilfgaardian currency. It usually had a good exchange rate, Jeremiah knew. But crowns were more widely accepted and superseded each northern kingdom's individual currency. I'll take crowns, Jeremiah said. Senley nodded and put the sack of coins back in her desk. She produced another, slightly larger sack. Fair enough. The Imperator thanks you for your service. But, more importantly, the people of Bedzinapanis Mena thank you for your help. Everyone will sleep a little easier tonight, knowing the griffin is dead. I'll await your witcher friend with the griffin's head and give you the full payment. I'm all too pleased to serve the Imperator, Jeremiah said, taking the coin. He left before his tongue could get him into more trouble. He returned to the River's Rest Inn. A few dirty and bedraggled hunters were returning from their fruitless quest, but Jeremiah didn't see any of his companions. He went up into his room. He pulled Mother Lana's letter out of his bag and read it again. He thought to write her back, but he didn't have the energy. And besides, what would he say? Jeremiah settled for reading the letter again, then reminding himself that Lana meant nothing more than what she had written. Then Jeremiah napped, but his dreams were haunted by Ezra and Mygard of Kavir. In it, their eyes and mouths were red, and they had crossbow bolts sticking out of them. Jeremiah was awoken by a pain in his side, where Ezra's crossbow bolt had hit him. He lifted up his shirt and saw that the stitched wound was healing quickly. Carmagnola had done good work patching him up. It would leave a scar, but the skin around it wasn't the angry red that indicated infection. So why did it still hurt just as much as when he first got shot? The sun was setting as Jeremiah went back downstairs, and he heard a familiar voice singing in the common room. He was not surprised to see Arthur of Garamore performing a lively ballad. The common room was packed once again with hunters, and most of them were clapping and singing along. Jeremiah ordered vodka and sat with Zevo, who was drinking alone. How did it go? he asked the witcher. Got our twelve hundred crowns from the castellan. Where's Ethramel? Disappeared. Where's the doctor? Went to the infirmary. Why the sour look on your face? Because nothing feels different. Eh? Never mind. Jeremiah nodded and focused on Arthur's performance. The troubadour plucked at his lute and began to sing, Jeremiah realized, of their griffin hunt. The eyes that saw this ballad speak to you the truth, a tale of glory and reckless youth. In dusty hills, air cracked and dry, hunters stalk their prey before it could fly, all in pursuit of wealth and fame, swapped for griffin's head. Jeremiah settled back in his chair, grinning as he watched the tavern slowly become enraptured with their tale. The craftsman had to admit, it was nice hearing his deeds turned into song. The hunters round a bend, each path looks the same. They spot bloodstains speckled on the road. From injured rivals, once swelled with pride, the griffin cut them down to size. Now they bleed out on the road. They're close to death. The hunters wonder what they're supposed to do. Do they help, or just push through? Jeremiah held his breath without realizing it, wondering how Arthur would cast their decision to leave Beatrix and Nicola bleeding on the path. The crowd, similarly, listened intently and waited. No hesitation, the hunters refused to flee. They abandon their job, no one disagrees. And down that dusty hill they walk, Arm in arm, they laugh and talk, wealth and fame all but forgot. Twas for the best.
Jeremiah frowned when he heard the room erupt into applause for the hunters who chose to help Beatrix and Nicola instead of forsake them. He saw the three Verdinian hunters, Devry, Asilla, and Avon, sitting at the bar, cheering and clapping along like everyone else. No ambush from them, I take it, he said to Zevo. The witcher shrugged. Guess they were telling the truth. When Arthur was finished with his ballad, Jeremiah approached and bought him a drink. I'm very impressed with your ability to improvise, Jeremiah said. Did you compose that all today? Arthur blushed slightly and looked at his mug. The gods saw fit to bless me with a few talents. I'm glad you enjoyed it. He paused, then added, Sorry there's no mention of any of you. It just didn't fit thematically. Jeremiah waved the thought away. He remembered something Cedra told him once. It's the better story. They drank. Did Nicola survive the trip down the mountain? Jeremiah asked, wiping foam from his beard. Arthur nodded. With the help of Avon of Verdon, we got him down faster than expected. Beatrix took him straight to the barber surgeon. Still there, I believe. I'm glad he pulled through. Jeremiah rubbed his eyes and took a deep breath. Out of curiosity, have you heard of something called the Gutter Rebellion? The troubadour's eyes narrowed, and he leaned in to whisper. That could be a dangerous question depending on who you ask. So you have heard of it, Jeremiah thought. He needed to probe a little more. Yana had recruited him and his companions to get as much info on the rebellion as he can, after all. And what have you heard about it? he asked Arthur. Or about this Gutter King? Well, the name's a joke, right? Arthur said. A reference to King Visimir the Old of Redania, who rejected the suggestion that he be crowned by a commoner to soothe tensions after Falca's rebellion in the 1150s. He said he would not accept a crown from the Gutter, if memory serves. Do you know who the Gutter King is? Arthur shook his head. He wore a serious expression. Truth be told, I don't think he's real. I've traveled all across the north, and there seems to be pockets of this rebellion in every kingdom. But no one can give a name to this king. Maybe it's Saskia the Dragonslayer again, under a new name. Maybe. Saskia the Dragonslayer was the latest in a long line of rebel leaders fighting for independence in the Pontar Valley. Less than a year ago, in fact in Upper Edern. Saskia had attracted a sizable number of humans, elves, and dwarves to her cause, but she was defeated by King Henselt of Kedwin and hasn't been seen since. Do you know what the rebellion's aims are? From what I've heard, it's the same as every other rebellion before it, to carve out a kingdom in the Pontar Valley, where humans and elder folk alike can live free from northern tyranny. Well, that certainly sounds like Saskia, Jeremiah thought. He said, You said there are rebels all over the north? How big do you think? Impossible to say. I've heard tales of raids from the Gutter Rebellion in Temeria, Redania, Kedwin, Edern, and Sidorus. They're likely smaller than they seem, but they've got surprise on their side. That's why it's best to be careful who you ask about it. Why do you want to know? You can never be too safe, is all. Will you stay in town much longer? I think I'll be traveling with Beatrix and Nicola, actually. And... Arthur motioned to the Virginian hunters and grinned. We got along famously on the way back. Will you be staying in Tamaria? Longer than I'd like, Jeremiah thought. He said, I believe so. Then I have no doubt we'll meet again soon. Arthur finished his drink and smiled. His cheery voice and demeanor returned. Well, I must get back to another ballad. The people demand it. Jeremiah let the troubadour go. He ordered another drink and thought. But thinking, he quickly realized, was a bad idea. His thoughts always circled back to the murders of Ezra and Mygard, 
like water going down a drain. He turned his arrowhead necklace over in his fingers. It was from Ezra's crossbow, from the bolt that punctured his side. Carmignola had dug it out, and Jeremiah asked to keep it. He kept it as a necklace because... He wasn't entirely sure why, actually. Jeremiah was never a superstitious man, but something told him he should hold on to it. Jeremiah's side ached. He took it as a reminder that he killed Ezra and Mygard because he had to. That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Zipkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at TalesWitcherPod on X, or at TalesFromTheWitcher.Buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you again next week.